blessing to be here this morning. And this morning, our scripture reading comes from Revelation 19. Revelation 19. You might ask, why aren't we going through Hosea today? It's because we have a different speaker this morning. I won't be speaking, but Brian will be speaking, uh, speaking the word of God from Revelation 19. So turn there in your Bibles, and let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's holy word. Revelation 19, the word of God says, After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven, crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute, who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of many peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen of the right, is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice, he called to all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come, 
gather for the great supper of God, to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read today and that we'll be preaching from this, this morning. If you would, remain standing with me as we bow in a word of prayer. After prayer, choir will come with a special song and then the preaching of God's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here yet another day. Allowing us to be in a place of worship that we might worship you. And in that regard, we pray that you would just cleanse our hearts, that you would forgive us of sin and and enable us with, with right and pure hearts to worship you. We thank you for the preaching of your word today. We pray for your servant. We pray for Brian as he comes to present your word, that you might use him to speak as you would have us to hear today. And then your Holy Spirit would anoint those words and even within our hearts as we hear them, that they might accomplish what you would have them to accomplish to bring attention to you and with that attention the repentance that is due in our hearts the praise that is due in our hearts the worship that is due in our hearts the faithful serving and commitment that is due in our lives that we will give attention to obeying obeying your word in our own lives and we just pray, Lord, that you would do this work right now in our midst. We thank you for each person here. We pray, Lord, that you just open hearts to hear and receive your word. And we do pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Praise God. All of my help coming from the Lord. Amen. I love that song. Love it because it reflects the truths that God wants us to know, doesn't it? But let me just open us up in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your word. Your word is truth. We thank you, Lord, for appointing us as preachers, Lord, to be able to declare your truths, Lord. You said through the foolishness of preaching, some might come to believe. 
And so, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for calling us to be used by you, Lord. I pray that your Holy Spirit would indwell me, Lord, and make the words that we say today, Lord, be powerful. In your name we pray. Amen. Revelations 19. Revelations is one of those books that a lot of people get afraid to read. And the thing about Revelations is when you look at the reason the book was written, it wasn't written to confuse. It was written to encourage saints under siege. In that time, there was great persecution. Persecution that was leading to some saints to be killed. Other times, saints would just die because they weren't worshiping the false gods of that day. They had a code where some of the guilds, and a guild was just a group of people who did the same profession, and you couldn't join that guild if you didn't pledge yourself to this god or that god. And so some Christians couldn't join any guilds. And that's actually where that saying came from where it says you're neither hot nor cold. That church, and it says you're rich but you're poor. The thought is that some of the people in that church said, yeah, I'll join that guild. I don't care if I got a pledge to that God. And that's why they were rich. But many Christians were known for being poor. It said in the country of Cuba, the communist government of Cuba, one pastor was interviewed and they said, hey, man, how you doing? He said, we all poor. He said, why are you poor? Because I'm a Christian. They said, what's that got to do with anything? He said, well, when you're a Christian, they limit what professions you can even go into. So we've always considered it a mark of holiness that if you're poor, you might be doing something right. They got the opposite of the kind of preaching that we have here. We have prosperity preaching. They have poverty preaching. And that was what was going on in the time that Revelations was written. Even John was going through bad times. He was kicked out of the empire on this island in the middle of nowhere. We think of islands as little paradises, but his island was a little jail. But in the book of Revelations, what we get is encouragement. What we get is the Psalms of the New Testament. There's more Psalms, more songs in the book of Revelations than there is in any other book but Psalms. What you get in Revelations is you get invited to the throne room of God so he can tell people, hey, this is what's really going on. In that throne room, you see some things that may seem strange. We see the 24 elders, and that's God's court. These are the ones that are helping God run creation, as if he needed any help, but he has these elders with him. And in front of these elders, you have these four creatures that are awesome in power, but what they do all day is say, holy, holy, holy. And then you have the one that sits on the throne. And if you look at the book of Revelations, 
And another way you could say is that everybody in heaven is looking at this big old projector. And they invited John to watch it with them. And they're going through this series of visions. And the visions are supposed to produce encouragement. And the last vision we see, right before we get into chapter 19, is you see the city of Babylon. She's called Babylon the Great, the great prostitute. She's the city of all religion that rejects the true and living God. When you think about a city, you think about civilization, you think about where it's cool to be. And Rome and Babylon and Las Vegas and Washington, D.C. and Paris, they're all just symbols of what it means to live like in Babylon. Because Babylon is not just one city, it represents the heart of Satan's kingdom. It's Satan's capital. I like the picture of Las Vegas with Babylon because people always think when they go to Las Vegas that they can be somebody new. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I can go there and wild out. I can get married there and I can get divorced there and that's okay. Didn't really happen. It was just Vegas. But Babylon represents all the religion that doesn't point to the true and living God. But the thing that's funny about this is, and when you look in chapter 17, you notice that Babylon is fallen. She gets thrown down. She gets judged. And how does she get judged? Well, God says this. The dragon destroys her. And who is this dragon? It's Satan. And isn't that a weird thing that Satan would destroy his own capital? But it's not so weird if you understand the nature of sin because sin is self-destructive. That's the nature of all sin. Sin encourages us to use it. And then when we use it, it abuses us. People think they don't get hooked on marijuana. Marijuana got you whipped. People think cocaine get them a high. And then you see them, what they're willing to do to get that drug. You look at heroin epidemic. People are caring about that now because it's hitting the suburbs. But the thing about it is, when you look at these drugs, they only represent every other sin. People think they live in large because they sleep with all these women. And what are they doing? They're destroying the next generation. But in many ways, they destroy themselves. They can never trust another person that they sleep with. They can never be whole. They keep searching for this love that they can't have. They listen to every love song on the radio and it's all empty because they've done so much with so many people. They abused the love that God gave. Sin destroys itself. In chapter 18... There's this big lament, a song of sadness, where everybody sits there and they say, man, 
Look at all the things that done happened to Babylon. Why did this happen? Then we get into chapter 19. And in chapter 19, what we're going to see is the Apostle John builds a pyramid that points to Jesus Christ. The first part of the pyramid is in the very first section. He says, after this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. And that great multitude, if you read it through the book of Revelations, you can look back and say, that sounds a lot like Revelation 7-9. Look at there, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. You get this picture. The saints worship. The angels echo them. Heaven's court echoes them and says, Amen. And they praise God for salvation. And you look at 19, don't you see something similar to that? Hallelujah. The elders worship. Even the throne worships. But there's something different about chapter 19. Look at that very first part of verse 2. For his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Whoa. Now to the praise we add the element of judgment. Praise God for his judgment. What? And verse 3 says, once more they cried out, just so you didn't misunderstand what they said. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. What? That's a praise song of him. You're not going to find that on Love. Praise God for hell. What? And you know, normally when people do stuff like that, somebody else should check them. You know what I mean? You say, hey, hey, cut it off, man. You're going too far. So, you know, we count on the elders to be able to stop people from getting a little too wild out there, right? And what do the elders say? Amen. What? They just praise hell, elder. Amen. And what does the throne say? Praise God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Praise him for judgment? That's the first part of our pyramid. Praise God for judgment? We would think the elders would stop the people, but they join in. Even the throne, for some reason, the throne of God has a personality too. And he says, 
He's not enough for him to see that these people are praising. He said, listen, everybody should be praising God for his judgment. So it begs us to ask this question, why should we be praising the judgment of God? Normally that would be a reason that people would cry. These people are crying out in praise. Why should we praise the judgment of God? And that brings us to the end of the passage. Remember, we're building a pyramid. This part of the lower triangle has just been built. But now we'll look at this part where it says, verse 19, And I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who was in his presence had done great signs by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its, its image. These two were thrown down alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that comes out of the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. And all the birds were gorged with their flesh. This is the battle of Armageddon. But it's not really right to call it a battle, is it? Because I don't really see no opposition. In this battle, we, what we just see is a massacre. Satan and the Antichrist bring all their forces. They get together. You can hear this rising music. And then Christ hit them once. And that was it. Reminds me of when people spend all that money on pay-per-view to watch a boxing match. And then the guy knocks out the other guy in one minute. Hey. That's the kind of fight we see. And we ask ourselves this question. Why do we praise God's judgment? We praise God's judgment because God's judgment is victory in Jesus. Salvation comes with judgment. When Christ rescues his saints, who does he rescue them from? The evil one. Jesus said it another way. How can you plunder a strong man unless you bind up that strong man? How do you rescue the people of God if you don't destroy what oppresses them. In God's salvation, there has to be judgment. And without judgment, there is no salvation. Another way of question, asking that is, what you getting saved from if there is no hell? What are me and you afraid of if we don't fear God's judgment? Why are we so eager to be saved? Why are we going out there declaring this message? Who are we telling people to be saved from? To be saved, you have to be saved from something. Yes, we know we are saved into his kingdom, but we got to be saved out of this land of darkness. Men are enslaved by sin. And unless that slave master be destroyed, slavery will still persist. It's not a nice world out there. Evil will not let people go. 
It's just like Pharaoh when Moses said, let my people go. He laughed. Why would I let them go? They're my slaves. And Satan says the same thing. Why would I let anybody go? You addicted to pornography? Why would I let you go? You a liar? Why would I let you go? Why wouldn't I catch you in that net all the time? Why wouldn't I keep bringing your sins in front of you over and over again? Why don't I entice you? And then after I entice you, I turn around and go to God in heaven and say, judge him. Unless Satan were to be judged, God wouldn't be just and the justifier of those who trust in him. And the thing that's sad about it is, for there to be a victor, there has to be a loser. For Christ to be our victory, somebody else got to lose. And death is a loss but it's only the first in an infinite number of losses. Because these men try to fight God and they get killed and they might think that's the end, but it's not. Just like it says in verse 3, Hallelujah, the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. So we see the ends of our pyramid. But we're going to keep on building because as you see that victory means judgment and judgment is something that's worthy to be praised, we start to recognize this. That after every victory, there's a feast. There's a feast. Unfortunately, there's two kinds of feasts. Verse 17. Then I saw the angel standing in the sun. With a loud voice, he called out to all the birds that fly overhead, come gather for the great supper of God. And that sounds good, don't it? Until you read the next verse. To eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men. God summons the scavengers, and he said, there's going to be a feast. Then we look on the other hand, there's another feast. Look at verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. There's two suppers. One supper of flesh, another supper is the marriage supper. And what do they praise God for? He says, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. That's the sovereignty of God. They're praising God for being in charge. 
They praise God because there's going to be this marriage between this lamb and this bride. And this bride, you could picture her walking down the aisle. And she's absolutely beautiful. It's granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And what's that fine linen? It's our work. Our ministry. What we do as a body of believers. Our righteous acts make up her glorious clothes. So then the angel, as John is watching this, he said, hey, you need to write this down. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Blessed, favored by God are those who come to this supper. It's a blessing to be invited to this one. But another way of putting it is only blessed are those who come to this supper. Well, if you're not invited, what feast are you part of? And then in case we miss it, the angel had to say this. These are the true words of God. Why would he say that? Because we know that all words of God are true. But he said that almost saying, hey, you need to underline this in your Bible. Blessed are these. This is the true word of God. As if an angel would ever lie, right? But he's saying, hey, 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 hey. Pay doubly attention to what I'm saying. Double underline this, John. Blessed are those who are invited. After this, John makes a mistake, don't he? He falls down. He started to worship the angel. Because it's easy for us to worship things that are close to God. And he says, no, no, don't do that, man. I'm just a servant with you. Worship God. He says, I'm just a servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then he says this at the end. Seems like a little throwaway line, but it's not. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. What does that mean? He says this. Those things that we know to be true about Jesus. That's where the power of God is. Or another way of putting it is this. The simplicity of the truth about Jesus is better than mysteries not understood. There's lots of books that people write about how they went into heaven and they saw this and that. And they'll tell you about what heaven looked like and what hell looked like. And we ought not pay attention to those things. Because the simple things that we see in scripture written about Jesus are better than all those things could ever be. The simple things we understand about Jesus are better than any mystery that anybody else could ever bring. In fact, that's where prophecy comes from. Prophecy comes from simply the desire of Jesus to tell us those simple truths. So we built the second level of our pyramid of feasting. But in the last part of our pyramid, 
starts in verse 11. I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. It says the heavens open. And that's not by accident that he stands in the heavens. Because Psalm 104.3 says he makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. Daniel 7.13, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. Nahum 1.3, His way is a whirlwind and a storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. Jesus said in Matthew 24.30, And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus said again in 26. In Matthew 26, 64, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. First Thessalonians 4, 17 says, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And Revelations 1, 7 says, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him. He will be in there. And nobody will be able to miss him then. He's seated on a white horse because a white horse is a sign of a conqueror. His name is Faithful and True because you can always rely on Jesus. He will never let anybody down. In righteousness, he judges and he wages war. This is no sissy. This is no wimp. His eyes are like a flame of fire. In other words, you don't play with this one. And on his head are many crowns. It's almost like you can't even number how many crowns he's got. He has a name written on it that no one knows by himself. There's always an unknowable element of God, isn't there? Because as long as we can come to know God, since he's eternal, we can never know all of him. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood because he died for us. And in the name by which he is called is the word of God. Why is he the word of God? Because he communicates all the truths of God. He carries with him the mind of God. He brings with him the thought of God. He understands the reason of God. The armies of heaven were following him on white horses. Because why are you wearing white? Because you're not going to get bloody. We just follow him to be part of the parade. From his mouth comes a sharp sword. In other words, 
when he fights the Battle of Armageddon, he's not going to swing his sword. He's just going to say, die. He will rule the nations with a rod of iron. In other words, it's not going to be a democracy. He will tread the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. In other words, he's going to unleash all the judgment that God has been saving up to that day. And on his robe, just like when you see a boxing match, on the back of the robe they got their name. On the back of his robe he got written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On his thigh he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Why is it on his thigh? Because a thigh is where a man's power is. When you look at somebody's bicep, you might see a little bit of beach muscle. But when you want to see a real working man, you want to see where his power is, you look at his thigh. You can tell what a man can do. King of kings and Lord of lords. All the things about Christianity that the world hates. You notice that? He wages war. He judges. He's angry. He releases God's judgment. He rules the nations with a rod of iron. He ain't playing with the world. And that's not the Jesus that they like to see. They like baby Jesus. Because baby Jesus doesn't threaten anybody. They like hippie Jesus because hippie Jesus turned the other cheek. They think of hippie Jesus as he won't judge you, Jesus. He lets people get away with stuff, Jesus. He's a sap, Jesus. They look at baby Jesus. We can put him away after December is over, Jesus. They don't like God Almighty riding on a white horse that you can't tear your eyes off of that he comes and he says bow down call our praise team for all throughout this book of revelations I'm going to say something God is always sitting in his throne and he never gets up and when we look at the images in revelations we might be alarmed but God is never alarmed he's never so surprised that he got to get up he's never so surprised that he's got to move he barely says anything until the end of the book other than to say I'm Alpha and Omega And if God is undisturbed, we ought not be disturbed. We ought to understand that evil will destroy itself by its own devices. Even as Satan brings together this great army, what good is an army that can't trust each other because it's full of lies? What good is an army that can't stand because Satan always weakens everything that's strong? Evil destroys itself. 
And we understand when we look at the book of Revelations, when you look at chapter 19, that it's all pointing to Christ, don't you? Because the praise of judgment and the overwhelming victory point to Christ. You're either going to be feasted on or feasting with Christ. And all this is written to point to Christ. Behold our God. Amen.
close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your truth. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us your message, Lord. We pray, Lord, that the saints would be encouraged, Lord, pointing towards Jesus. When we look at that final victory, Lord, we should be encouraged because we know that we'll be riding behind you on white horses, Lord. We know, Lord, that we can praise your judgment because it means our victory. And, Lord, we want to participate in that marriage supper of the Lamb, Lord. There is another supper, Lord. And so, Lord, help us, Lord, to turn towards you now while there is still hope. In your name we pray. Amen.